Welcome to Truth Plus Grace. My name is Tiffany Grayson, and this is Chapter 3, Forgiven. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. I want to do what pleases God, don't you? Much like a child who wants to make a parent proud, I want to make God proud of me. I want to follow all the rules. I want to do good things. I want to help people. I want to contribute generously to both the church and to society. I want to be the star student, the clutch player, the solid rock. I want to be, well, all of these things and more. But most of all, I want to make God proud. And if I'm being honest, I'd like to be God's favorite. As a parent, I know it's impossible to pick a favorite child. Each child has their own unique gifts, challenges, and personalities. Thankfully, no two are exactly alike. From time to time, events may occur that cause you to focus on one child, specifically. For good or for bad, that child is the child of the day or the hour or even the moment. And in that moment, that child needs you, whether to be their biggest cheerleader, most valuable resource, or toughest critic. And that, I think, is the same when it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. If you're following along with notes, there's some fill-in-the-blanks coming up. Our Heavenly Father, He never forgets us or forsakes us. He is always with us. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. I love that. Even when we don't think He is listening, even when we aren't sure He is there, He is. He is always there. In the last chapter, we discussed the Israelites. We found them in Egypt, suffering under the oppression of the Pharaoh. As you might remember, in Exodus 3, 7-9, God told Moses that he saw his people as they suffered. He heard their cries of pain. And just as a parent feels for a child, it broke his heart. He rescued them from their situation. He promised he would save them, and he did. Let's journey back in time this time to the book of Luke, and that's a fill-in-the-blank for you. The book of Luke, where we will encounter one of my favorite stories of a parent-child relationship and God's grace woven through it. For those of you who've studied with me before, you know I always find it interesting to do a little background into the writer. The who, when, why of the account often gives us a better picture of the story at hand. In this case, the book of Luke, and there's quite a few fill-in-the-blanks for you, friend, The book of Luke was written by a man named Luke. He was a native of Syria, Syria, and he was not Jewish. Instead, he was of Greek descent, Greek. Prior to his travels with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was his main source of information, Luke was a physician, a doctor, and as such, he was a careful and thorough historian. He wrote the book of Luke for his people or those with a Greek heritage. The book of Luke stretches over a 30-year time span, 30-year time span. It includes the most detailed account of Jesus' life on earth. In Luke, though there's no account of him personally meeting Jesus, he portrayed Jesus as a compassionate healer, teacher, and savior. I'm going to say it again. He portrayed Jesus as a compassionate healer, teacher, and savior. Now, although 
All of the Gospels, meaning the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, contain various accounts of Jesus' life. They also contain a selection of the parables, parables he used while teaching. The parable we will discuss in this chapter, however, is only found in the book of Luke. Turn with me now in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 24. We'll be studying the parable of the lost son, the lost son. You might also know it as the parable of the prodigal son. I'll read much of this story to begin with, but as a side note, in this chapter, I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Version of the Bible, or CSB, which is different from the New American Standard Version I normally reference. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible, or just sit back and listen as I read. Again, reading in Luke chapter 15, picking up in verse 11. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, you might note that there's a lot of red font writing in here. And the red font simply means that those are Jesus's words. So we're picking up here in verse 11. And Jesus also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat the fill his fill from the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servant, Quick, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Don't you love this story, friend? I love it. And as we dig in, let's set the stage by answering these two questions. These are in your notes, two questions. Number one, what is a parable? What is a parable? And number two, What is a prodigal son? What is a prodigal son? Now, a parable, here comes some fill in the blanks for you. A parable is a simple word picture, simple word picture with a profound spiritual meaning, a profound spiritual meaning. It's a life lesson, a life lesson told through everyday relatable stories, commonplace happenings, objects, and or people. Now, Jesus taught using parables. He drew verbal pictures of the world around him by telling everyday stories of what was happening in real life. The word parable, that's a fill in the blank, comes from the Greek word parabole. Now, para means beside, beside. Balo means to throw or to cast into. So the word parable means to place alongside, to place alongside. And it suggests a comparison It suggests a comparison between two things that are alike in some way. 
When Jesus taught in parables, the lessons revealed in the comparison were the point of the parable. These lessons are often simple, focused, and without much embellishment. Parables themselves do not have multiple layers of significance, nor do they need to be analyzed on a point-by-point basis. Parables can be long or short, but they always address one particular question or situation. And here's a fill-in-the-blank for you. They teach one basic truth. They teach one basic truth. Now, Jesus taught in parables for two reasons. For one, to hide the truth from self-righteous people who believe they were too intelligent or sophisticated to learn anything from Jesus. I'll say it again. To hide the truth from self-righteous people who believe they were too intelligent or too sophisticated to learn anything from Jesus. Secondly, he taught in parables to reveal the truth to eager souls with childlike faith, to reveal the truth to eager souls with childlike faith. You have probably heard this before, but only those with ears to hear, only those with open minds and hearts had the ears to hear the truth that Jesus spoke. Teaching in parables was an intentional teaching style that Jesus used during his final year of public ministry. It was the sole method he used when he spoke to a large crowd. As the Pharisees began to watch and wait for Jesus to break the law, he was forced to change his teaching style in order to continue in ministry. Now, isn't that interesting? Think about that for a moment, friend, and compare it to today's world. In a world full of brokenness, do we, too, need to change our method of ministry in order to reach more people? It's certainly something to think about. Jesus did not spend long hours writing and developing these stories ahead of time. No, They were stories told in the heat of the moment or on the spot, often as a point of debate or even in the middle of a conflict. And as a side note, teaching in parables was not even a new method of teaching or learning in those days. In fact, parables were a common form of teaching in Judaism. The stories were based on common everyday life experiences. So rabbis and prophets and scholars would often use the parables to speak in realistic illustrations instead of using abstract ideas. Jesus may have used the parables because it was an established method of teaching during that time. But friend, here's what I find interesting. We're back to our notes here. Even today, Jesus's parables are still applicable. Even today, Jesus's parables are applicable. His stories meant to be relatable in his day are still relatable today. They're still relatable today. So I think that's amazing about parables. Now let's think about our second question. What is a prodigal son? The definition of the word prodigal is wastefully or recklessly extravagant. Wastefully or recklessly extravagant. That means that the prodigal son is a child that conducts him or herself in a wasteful or extravagant way. It's a person who is wasteful with their time, their money, their possessions, etc. Everybody understands that. The parable of the prodigal son is one of the most familiar and beloved of all parables. It's also the longest and the most detailed parable. And here's what's interesting. It's a fill in the blank. It actually contains, this is unique here, it contains two distinct messages within the full story. Two messages within the full story. One lesson is found in the portion of the story that we just read, and the other lesson is found in the conclusion, which we'll discuss a little bit later. Let's dig into that first lesson. To begin with, we read of a greedy second-born son. That's a fill-in-the-blank. We read of a greedy second-born son, anxious to get his hands on his inheritance. Since his father is alive, 
This was likely a pretty shocking request. His father, however, graciously fulfilled the request, giving his son his full portion of inheritance. Now, as a side note, as the second-born, his portion of the inheritance would have been one-third of the total estate. It was the right of the firstborn to receive a double portion, and that's noted in Deuteronomy 21. Um, So this second-born son would have received one-third of the total estate since his older brother would have received a double portion. So the younger bro- the younger son took everything he owned one day, including his freshly acquired inheritance, and he traveled to a distant land. We don't know where, it doesn't matter, and, but we know that he traveled away, and there he squandered his life away. In fact, some translations use the phrase prodigal living, which in the Greek, um, Greek context conveys the idea of living a lifestyle of utter debauchery. Hmm, debauchery. What a word, but that's the modern day equivalent to an immoral lifestyle of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, my friend. It's someone who infuses a lot of drugs and alcohol into their lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of this world, certainly. You get the image portrayed here. But we do know that he lived this crazy life, and then after he ran out of money, he was forced to find a job. That's a fill in the blank. He was forced to find a job during a severe famine. And the job he found was a pig feeder, forced to find a job as a pig feeder. A pig feeder was the worst of the worst jobs. Now, why was it such a terrible job, you might ask? Well, because pigs, or some translations use the word swine, same thing, pigs were considered the lowest ranking of all the unclean animals. That means that those who tended to the pigs were the dirtiest, most unclean people around. They were considered unfit for society. And not only was the son relegated to such a menial job, but we're told he was starving. Remember, it was during a famine. He was so hungry, he actually considered eating the pig food, the carob pods. Now, unfortunately, For him, the carob pods were not a food that humans could easily digest. You're thinking, well, what is this carob pod? Well, let me tell you what this pod was. It's actually, picture a purplish brown pod. It grew on trees in that region. And they kind of resemble like a leathery pod that resembles overripe, shriveled up bananas. Like old, nasty, shriveled up, overripe bananas. Perfect for the pigs, right? Ugh, not great food for a human. This story goes on to tell us that though he was starving, no one would give him any food. Couldn't eat the pig food. No one would give him any food. He was starving. He was desperate. Begging wasn't helping. Why do you think he felt? He was alone. He was hurting. He was hungry. He was helpless. He was struggling. And then we're told he suddenly came to his senses. I mean, I've been there. Have you, friend? Sometimes it takes a minute, doesn't it? We have to sit in our muck. This is like, literally, he was sitting in his muck. And suddenly, he came to his senses. He realized that if only he could go home, perhaps his father would hire him as a worker in his fields or with his stock. Maybe, surely, he had to think, the men who worked for his father did not go hungry. So realizing where he had gone wrong... And here comes a fill in the blank, recognizing all of his poor choices, recognizing the sin in his life. This son knew he needed to make a change. He knew he needed to make a change. He knew he needed to repent for his actions and seek forgiveness for all he had done wrong. Repent for his actions and seek forgiveness. He realized the 
severity of his actions, he realized that he had sinned against his father and against heaven, as we are told in verses 18 and 21. So then what happened? Well, he pulled himself up figuratively and physically and traveled home. What happened? He traveled home. And although he was clearly prepared to forego his position within the family and work in the fields as a hired hand, that was not meant to be. No. In this story, we see the loving hand of a father who is beyond excited to see his beloved son come home. Can you for a moment step into the sandals of this father? Let's stop and imagine how his heart must have hurt to watch his boy walk away. Knowing that he had equipped him to the best of his ability, knowing that he had done all that he could for him, knowing that his son was going to forge ahead, no matter the opinion of the father, knowing that the day he watched him walk away might be the very last time he would ever see his precious son. Can you imagine? So I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if he went out to the fields at the break of dawn each day, scanning the horizon, searching for his son's silhouette against the new light. Do you think he stayed outdoors in the dusk of the evening, praying, waiting, hoping that his son would come home? So in that moment, when he first saw his son, do you think he had to blink twice, rub his eyes, stare back at the little dot in the distance that resembled the gate of his son? Was that him slowly trudging home? Was that him with the look of defeat and despair on his dirty face? This, my friend, is a parable, a relatable story designed to share a message. Can you relate to it on any level? It's a question in your notes, friend. It's a relatable story designed to share a message. Can you relate to it in any, at an, on any level? Have you ever been the son? Blessed beyond measure and extravagantly or wastefully used your resources in the wrong way? Have you lived a life that trickled into the realm of debauchery? Have you fallen out of favor? Have you felt desolate? or alone? Have you felt separated from those who love you, from those who care for you? The father in this story had been looking and waiting, and when he spotted his son, he ran to him. The eagerness and the joy in seeing his son return, oh, it's unmistakable. Friend, that's just like our Heavenly Father, our Savior, who longs to see us on the horizon, making our way back to him. Just as he waits, listening for us to call out his name, he rejoices in the moment that we do. Our repentant heart draws us closer to him. But this is interesting. Did you notice, and this is in your notes, did you notice that the son did not get to finish his speech of repentance? He didn't get to finish his well-rehearsed speech of repentance. You have to wonder how many times he rehearsed that over and over as he trudged home. However long the journey, how long he, how many times he rehearsed that same speech over and over, what he wanted to say to his father, his repentance. And he didn't even have the opportunity to beg for a job or for food or for shelter. Why? Because his father quickly interrupted. He instantly forgave him and he fully restored him to a position of importance within the family. Right then, right then, he did not dwell on the past. It was forgiven. 
And each of the father's gifts was significant. Each a sign of acceptance. That's a fill in the blank. Each gift was a sign of acceptance. And I've made a list there for you. You've got a spot where you can take a couple notes. First of all, he gave him a robe. And a robe was reserved for guests of honor. Robes are reserved for guests of honor. Bring him the finest robe, the best one we have to offer. He was the highest guest of honor. A ring, certainly a ring, is a symbol of authority, one that you pass along as a sign of authority. Sandals, oh, this one I love. This was a sign of full restoration because sandals were never worn by servants or slaves. By giving him a pair of sandals, he restored him to a position of importance. And the fattened calf, well, that's reserved for special occasions. It was a sacrifice to make during a feast or a celebration. Oh, how they celebrated, friend, just as God celebrates with you each time you turn to him. Each time you turn to him, he celebrates. The remainder of this story is equally as important to understand. I'm going to read it to you now. You can follow along as I read. I'll be picking up in Luke chapter 15. Um, I'll be picking up in verse 25. Verse 25, still in red writing. This is still Jesus continuing the story. And now his older son, his being the father, now the father's older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Well, then he, the older son, became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, well, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, the father said to him, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Oh, I love it. Okay, friend, let's dig into this part of the story. This son, this older son, oof, we really don't want to like him, do we? We don't. He, he, he's hard to like right here. But he, here we find him returning from the fields. Okay, so imagine him after a long, hard day's work, and he heard a ruckus in the distance at the house. And so he asked the servant, hey, what's going on over there? And when the servant told him, the son was furious. He was so mad, he wouldn't even go in the house and see for himself. Instead, I'm picturing it in my mind, he's stomping around the yard. He's angry. He's talking to himself. He's probably pouting a little bit. And eventually, the father realized that his firstborn, the older son, he had not come in to join the festivities. So the father went out to meet with him, to tell him, come in, come in, come join us. Come join us. Come come on, there's a reason to celebrate. But this older son, the firstborn, he did not agree. And why not? Well, he was angry. He felt slighted. In his mind, he had done everything right. He had worked hard. He had stayed with his father even after his brother left. He probably even picked up some of the extra workload. He did not see a reason to celebrate. 
In his mind, the other son had taken some of the father's belongings, even if it was early inheritance. He had run away from home. He had shucked his responsibilities to the wind. He had spent all of his money on, you know, a lifestyle that maybe wasn't agreed with. He was, he lost everything. What does that son deserve at this point? He made the tough choices. He should have to live with those consequences. In fact, and this is a fill in the blank for you. The older son, when he's speaking to his father, he couldn't even bring himself to call his, the prodigal son brother. He couldn't call him brother. He called him the son of yours in verse 30. He called him the son of yours. Express, an expression that exposes the deep contempt that he was feeling for his brother in that moment. That's sad, right? He couldn't even bring himself to call him brother. Oh, so sad. Tough spot. So again, I ask you, can you put yourself in the sandals of this father for a minute? Now he's gone from feeling elated at the sight of his long lost son to feeling saddened by the response of his firstborn. His firstborn son. But he doesn't see the story of redemption and the return of his brother. He doesn't feel any true love for him. You know, the kind of love that produces joy when something like this happens. Instead, this son is only thinking of himself. But what about me? He asked. Where's my fattened calf? Where's my party? You don't throw parties in my favor. I never left you, he said. I never took anything from you. I've worked hard for you. When, when will you celebrate me? In that moment, he is stubbornly blinded by his own views of what he, think is, what he thinks is happening. So let me ask you, friend, have we ever been that stubbornly blinded? Have we ever failed to see the full scope of the story in front of us because we're too blinded by our own views or our own opinions? Are we so self-righteous that we fail to see, especially in others, what God sees? And that, my friend, is what this second lesson is about. And I put this in your notes. Just as the firstborn son was stuck in his cycle of self-righteousness, self-righteousness is your fill-in-the-blank, just as he was stuck in his cycle of self-righteousness, so were the Pharisees who sought to punish Jesus. Now, you might be asking, now, who, who are these Pharisees again? Well, let me remind you. They were a large like ever-growing, but they were a large group of Jews who were very strict in their observance of religious ceremonies, written laws, and practices. I'll say it again. They were a large group of Jews who were very strict in their observance of religious ceremonies, written laws, and practices. They also strictly adhered to all oral laws like verbal laws, and any verbal traditions that were passed down or established by Moses. They believed that the Messiah would be an earthly king. They were waiting for the earthly king to arrive. They did not believe that that king would be divine or of God. So that's who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, well, they stuck close to Jesus. They stuck close to him. And the Pharisees, they followed the rules and expectations of the Jewish laws like strictly adhered to those laws. And the Pharisees, they, they did not always see the difference between what was sinful versus what was right and wrong. They didn't understand the differences. The Pharisees condemned and punished others for what they believed was wrong in their lives, 
They didn't see it in theirs. The Pharisees had no interest in repenting for their sins, quite honestly, because they didn't believe that they were sinful. They said, we stick to the laws. We are good. That's what the that's who the Pharisees were. So tough question, maybe like a real gut check for us right now, friend. But are we more like the Pharisees than we want to acknowledge? Are we like the Pharisees? Do we just check the box when it comes down to spending time with God? Do we just check the box? Yep, spent time with him today. Check. Or do we actually dive into his word to get to know him better? Do we just follow the rules, the commandments, etc.? Because that's what good Christians do. We follow these. We, we follow it. Or do we do it because the Holy Spirit holds us accountable and speaks to our hearts and helps guide us? Do we see the brokenness in this world as the difference between right and wrong? Or do we see it as opportunities for salvation? Do we believe that we're basically good? Do we fail to acknowledge the sin in our own lives? Do we only see the sin or the bad in the lives of others? Do we even truly believe that we're sinners? Do we believe that we deserve more grace than anybody else? Do we, do we deserve a larger portion of favor? Are we religious hypocrites? Friend, are we the firstborn son? The firstborn son. Oh, like the Pharisees. He could not see his own sin and his own shortcomings. He did not recognize the need for his salvation. He did not care to repent because he didn't think that he had anything to repent for. All of those years of service to his father was not about his love for his father. All of those years of service was about what would be in it for him. He was motivated by the payment he would receive for his actions. He was motivated by the payment. He wasn't motivated out of love. And so even though his actions were more socially acceptable than his brother, he was just as respectful and just as dishonoring. All the wrong reasons. He couldn't see the sin in his life. But what was the father's response to him? This is your, this is your fill in the blank, friend. He told his firstborn that everything he had, meaning everything he owned, was hid, his Everything he had was his. In other words, the inheritance had already been distributed. If you think back to the beginning when reading this chapter, it says he distributed the assets to them, not just him. Everything he had was already his. Now, the firstborn was disappointed that the father still showed love and acceptance to the younger brother, the prodigal son. He didn't realize that he already had access to the very same gifts. The Pharisees had easy access to all of God's promises too. They followed Jesus around. They heard his truth firsthand. They spent their lives in public worship and quoting scripture, but they never really experienced any of the benefits because they never repented of their own personal sins. They never cleared their own path to a personal relationship with God. The father saw the true reason to celebrate. His younger son had repented. He had cleared the path to a new relationship with his father. He was lost, but now is found. What about you, friend? As we wrap up this chapter, I want to circle back 
and remind you that this is a parable with two lessons. And you've got some notes, some fill in the blank. This is a parable with two lessons. One, no matter how much muck you find yourself in, even if you're in there with the pigs, you can always come home. Home is a fill in the blank. You can always come home to where God, to come home to God, where he will welcome you with open arms, forgive your sins, and fully restore you. I'm going to say it again. You can always come home to God where he will welcome you with open arms, forgive your sins, and fully restore you. Friend, you just have to decide that it's your journey to begin. Secondly, or two, sometimes we have to let go of our own self-righteousness, our own self-righteousness in order to see the sin in our own life. The sin is a fill in the blank in our own life. Repenting and clearing the path to God is necessary in order to truly receive all of the treasures that God has in store for you. And he has them. He wants to give them to you. Repenting and clearing the path to God is necessary in order to truly receive all of the treasures he has for you. Friend, though this, is, was, this was a story told to both the general crowds that followed Jesus and to the Pharisees that sought to punish him, the truths revealed are still applicable to our lives today. They're still relatable. My question for you is this. What work is God doing in your heart today, right now, right now? And I'm reminded again of Philippians 2.13, which I noted at the beginning of your notes in this chapter. I said at the very beginning, Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's my prayer for you today, friend. May you hear the Holy Spirit as he prompts you. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to sit in your word, for the story of the lost son. Lord, we ask that you come be with us now. Help us to see the, the, um, the debauchery, the things that we need to repent of in our lives. Help us to see um, the clear path straight to you, Lord. Or we know that if we come to you and we place all of our sins at the foot of the cross, that you wipe the slate clean, Lord. And I ask that each person listening right now claims that relationship with you today, if they haven't already, Lord. And, and Lord, I just thank you for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's, and it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Friend, thank you for joining me today in this podcast If you're looking for daily encouragement through scripture, I hope that you'll follow Truth Plus Grace on Instagram or on Facebook. Truth Plus Grace, just do a search. You'll find it on both Instagram and Facebook where I post daily scripture just as an encouragement for anyone who sees it. Secondly, we're looking for ways to connect as a community of people going through this Bible study together. So I'd ask that you check your email for more information because I'll be sending it directly to you. And if you'd like to be added to the email distribution list, please email me at tiffany at truthplusgrace.com. Again, that's tiffany at truthplusgrace.com. You just spell out truthplusgrace.com. Thanks, friends, for joining me. I'll see you next week. <music>